I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be there in just a moment. I tell you what, I tried to warn you today to get your readier ready. I don't even know what that is. To turn the switch in your mind to be prepared for what God wants to do in your heart and your life. And if you didn't get ready, you got to get ready again because God's not done wanting to prick our heart this morning. And maybe you're here today and you go, Pastor Brady, whatever, I, I didn't really trip my trigger today. I wasn't really impressed today. I really didn't know if, if I liked what happened today. I've got, a, I've got a little bit of information for you. It's not about what you like today. It's not about what you had hoped would happen today. It's not about what you want to trip your trigger today. It's about what God has prepared for you, whether you wanted it or not. Whether you preferred it or not, He made it for you. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The England Post reported a story I want to read to you real quick. A family of five was rushed to the hospital to have their stomachs washed out after a cat with whom they had shared a meal of mushrooms, suddenly began to have stomach contractions. While members of the family showed no signs of illness, the doctor still had them rushed to the hospital. When they returned home, after their stomachs had been pumped, they found the cat was feeling well, after having produced five kittens. (laughs) You know, perspective changes a lot of things. Just like that family, you may find yourself going through all kinds of painful solutions to problems that don't exist if you don't have all the information you need to have. You find yourself doing things that are totally irrelevant because you don't have the right perspective. But sometimes it's not just perspective. Sometimes it's, it's a complete blindness. It's a lack of vision that causes us to have major problems. Have you ever seen those pictures, magic eye art, some call them, They're the pictures that were real popular in the 90s, that when you look at them, it just looks like a bunch of jumbled nothing? And I'm told that when you stare into the picture and you kind of look just the right way, and you kind of cross your eyes, you see an image pop out. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've seen one of those before, okay? I can't stand them. I could never see it. I've never once seen it. It could be an elaborate hoax that I don't know anything about, and you all know the joke. But as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't work. I've stood there and I've stared at them. I've tried to to, to look past the picture. I've tried to cross my eyes and there's something wrong with me. I can't see it. And people will tell me, oh, it's an awesome eagle that's just just shooting out of the picture. Doesn't look like that to me. It looks like a bunch of mess on the page. It's just this amazing landscape of a castle and you can see all the dimensions in it. I can't see it at all. It wasn't an issue of perspective to me. It wasn't that that if I just stood in the right place, my eyes don't see that stuff. And here people would buy it and they'd hang it up on a wall and it would aggravate me. Why would you want to have artwork you had to work to see? Why would you want to have artwork that that not everybody could see? I, I just, I don't get it. When we come to this passage of scripture here in Matthew 7 and we're coming to the tail end of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He's dealing with issues of vision. 
And some of us, it's an issue of perspective, and some of us, it's an issue of just flat-out blindness. And Jesus knows his disciples need a kingdom perspective, kingdom vision in their lives. Jesus knew that his followers would, would need this vision. He knew their spiritual vision was, was going to get blurry. He knew that they were going to get messed up, they are going to get focused on themselves, and it would skew all the other things that he had been talking about. And so he begins to talk to us about our vision. Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now I've got... Four questions that I believe Jesus is asking us out of this text today that I want us to look at. And the first is this. How do you see others? Jesus wants to talk about the vision of a disciple. And he's asking us, how is your vision? And specifically, how do you see others? This first problem with our spiritual eyes is one that is pretty evident right now in this election season. You can look at political candidates and you can begin to pick out all the things that you don't like in them. Regardless of, of who you want to vote for or who you don't want to vote for, you can begin to line up all kinds of arguments of what you see wrong with that person. And, and that's somewhat helpful when you're making an educated choice about who you're going to vote for, and that, that's good, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it tips the scale, and, and, and I get a little bit aggravated. I, I don't need to know all the horrible things that everyone has ever done in their entire life, and then you may begin to see the mudslinging happen and all this kind of stuff spring up. And it'd be one thing if it just stopped there at a political race, but it begins to ooze and seep into the way we see people around us all over the place. We go to work and we see that coworker and we begin to see so clearly how dumb they are. Have you ever met someone like that? I mean, you're, just, you're not trying to be rude, but you can just see how clearly dumb they are. They, they come late all the time and they wonder why their bosses doesn't value them and, and they, don't, they don't work real hard and they're kind of lazy and you can see that and then they make mistakes all over the place and it's just how you see them. You can just see what's wrong with them. You know that person that you've had an acquaintance with, you see all their financial mistakes, and it's so clear to you that they shouldn't have bought that, or they shouldn't have gone there, and they shouldn't have done that. That person who finds himself in a heap of trouble, and you say, well, you should never have said that. You should never have acted that way. It's amazing how crystal clear we can be about somebody else's problem. And Jesus is asking us, how is your vision? How do you see others? Of all the people you saw this week, how did you see them? How, how did you interpret your vision of them? When you see the world around you, is it that everybody else is wrong and you were right? Is it that you're the victim and they've always been out to get you? i got to confess, whenever I go to fast food, I kind of put on that hat and think that way. I sometimes think there's this conspiracy of... Every fast food place that I go to is not fast, and I don't even know if they get the food right. And I can sit in the line, and I can begin to assess, you know, if they would have done this first, and if they would have given me the drink right away, and then taken my card, and if they would have, you know, put the, the tacos on this side, and then, then not flip the Mexican pizza over here. And, and pretty soon, it's just so clear to me why they're struggling in their business. But could it be that it's not every fast food chain that's got it wrong? Could it be that they don't really exist to do it my way? Could it be that 
that I don't understand everything in the process of making that food? Could it be that what I seem, want to seem as fast is just not possible? Because I also want it to taste good. And it's amazing the way we see other people around us. And it's one thing, and it's convicting when we think about that, about how our food is served to us. But that sometimes seeps in on how we relate to our spouse and to our kids and to our parents and to our neighbors. How do you see others around you? How do you know if you need to have your vision checked as a disciple? Jesus asked the question, do you judge? Now, this scripture is, scripture is often taken out of context and it's often twisted. The scripture is not teaching us that we should have an absence of absolute truth. This scripture is not suggesting to us that we should not proclaim truth boldly. Scripture is telling us that we need to give the truth and love the way Jesus does. Jesus came to not abolish the law, but to fulfill the law by giving his life and laying down his life. We are to have grace when we give the law, when we give the truth. A disciple views others with grace-colored glasses. Now, sometimes we, we err all the way over here on this side. And we, we misinterpret this passage and we come all the way over here. Am I in the dark yet? I need to be in the dark. Come all the way over here in the dark. And, and, and when you're all the way over here, you, you, you look at people and you go, well, I, I could never say anything negative to them. I could never ever correct them. I couldn't even just share what I see wrong. And, and, and everybody's just good. Every, everything's perfect. Everything's fine. And, and uh, I, I glaringly see that you're about ready to jump off a cliff. But that, you know, who am I to tell you? And it's just fine. I mean, it, that's up to you. And, and, and boy, I see some challenges in what's happening with the way you're raising your kids. But, but who am I to even interject anything? And so it's, it's nothing wrong. Who am I to say no absolutes? That's on this side. And we obviously, hopefully, see all kinds of error with that. That is not what Scripture is calling us to do. But we come all the way over here, church. And we think this is the right response. And we say, you know what? (laughs) I can see you. I see everything that's wrong with you. And I want to tell you you're a horrible sinner and you're going to hell. And by the way, I don't even like you very much. (laughs) Now, we found cooler ways to be glossy about that. We may not be holding the sign that says God hates you. I'm just going to make you feel that way when I'm around you. My disgust for you will just tell you that you are an imbecile. Jesus is saying, your vision of how you see people around you is so skewed. You need to come to me and let me give you grace-colored glasses where you speak the truth, all the truth, nothing but the truth, but in love and laying down your life. Jesus says, don't judge them, I'm going to judge them, but preach my truth, proclaim it, and love them. Allow God to widen your vision of how we relate to other people. You know, this is where prejudice creeps in, I think, to our life. God forbid that prejudice of of a racial nature would still be evident in any Bible-believing church. We know that when we are prejudiced, it's most of the time out of ignorance My lack of understanding, my lack of perspective, my lack of vision causes a prejudice. And when I am prejudiced towards someone else, God hates that. Because I'm depending on my vision, not on God's vision. And he hasn't broadened my vision. But there's aspects of prejudice. And I'm not suggesting for any moment that racial prejudice is done and over with. I'm not suggesting that. 
It breaks my heart and it should have no place in the church. But church, I'm convinced that there's other areas of prejudice that we let run rampant without any check in our life. There's prejudice that we have of religious background. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to treat some religion that is not based in Scripture, that's not Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, God and God alone as any authority. I'm not suggesting that. But when we begin to say that, well, your uh, Pentecostal background, your Baptist background, your Nazarene background, your Assembly of God background is not what I like, it's not what I would agree with, hey, this is God Almighty, the one who blows and knocks over a king. They wither up and die. It's the one who holds all the stars in place and they don't fall because he is God. This is the one we're talking about. And our prejudice of, of some kind of theological distinction gets in the way. Sometimes our prejudice comes into occupation. One way or another. Well, I, I could never trust a, a lawyer. I, I, could, I could never, never ever really relate to the laborer, it, it creeps into prejudice about education. It creeps into prejudice about economics. You know, there's the rich and the poor, and, and, and few of us would say that we are in the rich category. We're just not as rich as we'd wanted to be, so that means we are poor. That's how we define poor, not as rich as I want to be. But I want you to, to think of some of the, the prejudice and the criticism and the obvious skewed vision that we have sometimes about the poor. We may think of the poor as lazy, don't do too much, lazy, ungrateful, poor people. They're kind of greedy because they're lazy and ungrateful. I want you to flip the hat the other way and think about those really, really, really rich people. Not you, of course, but somebody really, really rich. They're lazy, don't do much, can't believe how lazy they are. They're ungrateful. Born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And you know what? They're pretty greedy. It's the same list. We begin to get confused and we begin to get all kinds of things thrown at us. And God says, time out. I know that you're going to have trouble seeing the correct perspective, the correct vision. I need to help you and we need to start with how do you see others. Jesus in his teaching touches on some of this. He says, I I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, and I'm going to fulfill the law by laying down my life. Why don't you take a clue on this, and you fulfill the law the same way. Jesus is upholding the standard of grace and the standard of righteousness at the same time. Uh, What measure of grace do you use with the people around you that you see? Here's one of my favorite litmus tests. It's definitely not the end all, but it's, it's a good way you can practice today. You've been out to eat somewhere, and the waiter or waitress has clearly not done very well. Whatever it was, they messed up your order, they didn't do something right, and it just clearly, if you ever were warranted not tipping very well, it was that day. Okay? That's the moment I want to challenge you to triple tip. You want to see something happen, eternal, that they will never forget the rest of their life, when they really have blown it. I mean, it didn't always work when they do a good job, but when they've blown it, they know they have messed it up. You triple tip then. Now, now those of you who tip 20%, I'm serious, tip 60%. Just try it. Watch what happens. They know they didn't deserve it. They know they didn't do it right. If you tip 15%, tip 45%. Now, now those of you who haven't quite figured out tipping yet, if you tip 5%, 
it may be hard for them to figure it out. You, you'll know, but they'll be like, it just tipped me 15%. But when we give to somebody when they don't deserve it, at the moment when they're really not performing the way we'd wanted them to perform, we begin to see what it means to look through the lens that God has for us. If you bring love into the law, it changes everything. No one can fight it. The church, don't skimp on the law, but overdose on love. If you want to see things happen in your life, in your relationships, I challenge you to do this. Overdose on love and do not compromise on the law. You're not loving somebody when you allow compromise all over the place. And you're definitely not loving somebody when you stand over there and all you can do is throw all kinds of darts at them. Overdose on love and don't compromise on the law. Your life will explode. Let's move on. Matthew 7, 3 through 6. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. The second question here that Jesus is asking to us, how do you see yourself? It's maybe not just a lack of perspective and a lack of vision of, of seeing others correctly, but we don't always see ourselves correctly. An internet poll, and they can never be wrong, <laughs> tells us that four out of five people, I'm already skeptical, view themselves 17 times a day in the mirror. I don't know how accurate that is, but how many times do you look at yourself in the mirror? When you got ready this morning, how many times did you check your clothes? How many times did you check your hair or lack thereof? How many times driving here today, I mean, I'm not going to make you vote with your hand, but in your mind, be honest, did you check the rearview mirror for junk in your nose? How many times did you do that? If you haven't, maybe you need to do that on the way home. We, we, we are not at a lack of looking at ourselves. Our problem is not that we don't notice ourselves. We spend all kinds of money presenting ourselves to people the way we want to be presented. All kinds of money. Whether you are a pressed shirt, sharp dressing person, or I'm the casual, wrinkled, relaxed, short, flip-flop wearing, you worked on that, you prepared that way, that's how you want to be presented to the people around you. We, we were very conscious of how we look. So the problem is not that we don't look at ourselves enough. I believe God wants us to break away from our limited perspective of ourselves, The tunnel vision we have of ourselves, of just the exterior. What is it you can see? What is it that you can see? This is where crash diets come in. I want to get thin so what you see looks good, but I don't care what it does to the insides of my body. I don't care what, what, what happens on the inside of my soul as long as you think that I've memorized the right phrases and I've read the right books and I can intelligently talk about the right things. Jesus says, I want to give you a broader perspective about who you are. Now notice in this scripture here, Jesus did not say, never point out the speck. He didn't say that. He says, just get the plank out of your eye first. I don't know if you've heard the story. I confess, I don't even know if it's true. It's so good, I hope it's true. It's the story of the woman who's at the, 
the gas pump and, and she's there filling up her car with, with gas over here and, and she kind of looks over and she notices the guy at the pump next to her is eating a donut and he's all dressed up nice, looks like he's on his way to the office, he's got donut all over his face. It's just all over his face. And she just kind of looks, sir, sir, and, and he didn't respond. And so she just kind of forgets about it and turns back around. And she begins to fill up her, her gas tank a little bit more. And she can't handle it. She says, you know what, this guy's going to be embarrassed. Uh, he's got donut all over his face. He works so hard to look nice. I just got to tell him. Sir, hey, I, I got to tell you, um, you're probably going to be embarrassed. You've got donut all over your face. And he says, oh, thank you, ma'am. Well, in the spirit of that, I... I, I didn't want to say anything to you, but I, I just noticed, ma'am, that you've tucked your dress into the back of your pantyhose. <laughs> and she's so concerned about the donut on his face, and, and she's got some real embarrassment on the way to work. You know, that over-exaggeration is what I think Jesus is saying right here. We love to just kind of help clean up people around us. When there's glaring problems in our own backside. There's all kinds of things. And God is not saying don't love your neighbor enough to to help them. But by all means, make sure your eyes work on yourself. Most of us live our lives with tunnel vision. Most of us see ourselves, but not the true picture of ourselves. What do you do when everyone is gone? When you have an hour or two by yourself, if you want to know who you really are, what do you do when you're by yourself, when you get an hour or two by yourself? Well, how do you spend your time? Where do you spend your thoughts? Spiritually, is there a speck of dust in your eyes or a plank in your eye? Would you allow honesty and humility and brokenness to come into your vision of how you see yourself? Would you allow anybody to ever approach you? Church, I want you to know, if you ever see anything in me that does not smell or look like Jesus, come get me alone and tell me. I want to know. Is there anybody in your world that you've given permission to to say, if if you see something in me that doesn't look or smell like Jesus, come tell me. When we are broken, when we are humble before God, He begins to change our vision. Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks the door will be opened. This third question. How do you see your needs? When you see your needs, where do you go first? Good, Joe. We need to go to Jesus. But when we go to Jesus, what do we ask of him? Do we go to Jesus first and we say, Jesus, I, I, this is what I really want. This is what I need. Or do we ask for the things of Him, the things of God? We usually, in our vision of how we see our needs, will muster up enough will to ask. But the next part of this verse, I don't know if it affects our, our vision. Do we go to the next level and do we seek after what we are asking? We often ask, but do we seek? If you could ask God for one or two things today, what would it be? You're going to ask God for one or two things. God, I, I'd ask you to bring me that job. How much time have you been seeking God in that area? God, I want you to give me wisdom. I want you to give me patience. How long have you been seeking God in that area, or do you just ask? 
Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. We are to seek out the things of God. How do you see your need? Oftentimes our need is something we feel can be fulfilled somewhere else. Go looking for what God has for you. Don't just ask, don't just seek after the things of Him, but knock. Take a risk. What doors are you knocking on? Where are you looking for God? God, is, is this you? In this job interview, is this, is this you, God? How I see my needs, the vision, the perspective I have of my needs is important as a disciple. Verse 9 through 11. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The fourth and final question I believe that the text is asking us today is, how do you see God? Some of us really struggle in our perspective, in our vision. We're blinded to the spiritual things around us because our view of God is so limited. Church, God loves you. No, He really loves you. He's not out to get you. He's not out to just fix you. He loves you. Your God is your almighty, loving Abba Father. He's the almighty provider who cares for you. He's the almighty protector who wants to be there for you. And when you don't view God correctly, it skews everything else in our vision and our perception around us. God longs for his disciples to see him as their source of everything. The story is told like this, that there was a teenager who broke into a department store and thought it would be a fun gag to exchange all the price tags in the department store. He took the uh, price tags from the uh, appliances and from the electronics that were of high prices and, and put them on the socks and the underwear and on the belts and on the hats. He took all the price tags from the socks and underwear, belts and hats and put them on the TVs and the appliances and the washer and dryer and refrigerators. And the next morning, the store opened up and people began to check out and they were trying to honor the prices that were marked. And before they could figure out what was going on, a great tragedy was happening. Things that were of extreme value were walking out the door for a little, little, little price. And things that were of not much value were stuck in the store because there was this huge, absorbent price put on it that did not match their actual worth. God wants to give you a vision, a picture, clear picture of who He is because He's the one who values you way more than the world around you. The world will always put price tags on you and the things about you and the way you look and the way you talk and the way you think and what you've achieved that are all mixed up and wrong. It's not that you should never be concerned about some of those things. The price tags are just wrong. When someone writes you off for something that they think is so huge, it's so small. And God goes, yeah, we'll work on that. But, but your soul, your heart, your vision is so important to me. God wants to change the vision of his disciples. As we close this morning, the final verse. Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do to others what God, do to others what you would have them do to you. 
For this sums up the law and the prophets. The vision of a disciple is described here. It's one that looks beyond himself, and I like the words from the group dividing the plunder. I want to live with wider eyes. There's far too much to see. To think nothing else but where I've been and where I will be. I've been longing for the freedom that's waiting silently in the life that's just beyond the perimeter of me. That's more than just a good song lyric. It's, it's more than just something that tickles your soul. When we begin to live beyond the perimeter of ourself, we see what it means to truly be a disciple. A disciple's vision looks beyond himself. God is calling you and I to have a kingdom perspective that not only looks beyond ourselves, but we recognize how you see determines how you act. As we pray this morning, I want you to ask God, God, how do I see others? How do I see myself? How do I see my needs? And how do I see you? Jesus, I thank you today that you have met with us for sure. You have reminded us that you are not unaware of the challenges we face. You are not mindless of what's going on in our world. In fact, if you can keep the stars in line by name and not one falls without you knowing about it, you know everything that's happening in us. Lord, I pray today that we will begin to trust your vision more than ours. Convict us, God, when we love to be critical of others, but we don't allow that same constructive criticism to come back at us. Help us, God, not to miss an opportunity of price tags that are switched on the people we see around us and and we miss how valuable they are in your eyes. Show us what it means to see others the right way. Show us what it means, Jesus, today to to see ourselves more than a glance in the mirror, more than being appealing to someone around us. Lord, I pray that we will see ourselves the way you see us. Lord, I pray that we will see you more clearly. Wherever we go today, God, whatever we do, I pray that you'll help us to have eyes to see to have a perspective to catch the context that you've called us to do it all for the glory of your name. It's in your powerful name, Jesus, that we pray today. Amen. Church, may God bless you. May God bring you back to this house of worship safe, but even more obedient. Have a great class, great afternoon, wherever you're going. Go in obedience today. God bless. Yeah.